0: We are in the midst of a series of messages about faith questions. We're looking at some of the hard questions. Uh, we're looking at the questions that are pretty critical in life to address and to get right and to get a sense of, of uh, wisdom. And so uh, last week, we started by asking, how do we know what, how God is like? And we looked at the understanding that God wants to reveal Himself through natural revelation through the Scriptures, certainly through His Son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to be looking at the Scriptures as we talk about the question, why is the Bible the book for me? Now, that's a leading question, isn't it? (laughs) It's assuming that the Bible is the book for you. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. So I want to, in this message, talk with you about what the Bible claims to be true about itself, how it's self-authenticating. I want to look at some pushback from that and reality-wise the many different kind of approaches that people have toward the Scripture and its authority. And Most of all, I want to point us out to some very clear ways in which we can engage in Scripture and meet the God in the Bible. So this morning, I want to invite you first to get started by looking at the Bible yourself. So uh, get out your phones, go to the Schweitzer app, go to the Bible version on your phone, pick up the printed Bible in front of you. And we're gonna look at the words of Scripture in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, as we look at the words of the old apostle himself near the end of his life, and what he has to say about the authority of Scripture and how it came to be. Are you there? We'll give you a moment. In your pew Bible <clears throat> or on your phone? Now, notice these words of Scripture. Think about the writer. Think about the person that had been there with Jesus. For we were not making up clever stories. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. When, we receive, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice. Now, notice Peter says, we ourselves. He's talking about in the Scripture, in the Gospel, where we, being Peter, James, and John, we heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, referring to the scriptures that predated Peter, the Old Testament scriptures. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. That's important to note, isn't it? It's not from own human initiative or understanding. Or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Now, that's quite a claim. And we live in a time and a place where we have to freely admit that that largely, friends, we live in a time of biblical illiteracy. Many of us in the church really do not understand or read in a comprehensive way the whole meaning of Scripture, and yet why it's so important is the summarization of what Simon Peter just wrote. What's he saying? He says the apostles didn't cleverly devise these stories. He's saying that the apostles were eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ the revelation of God, that the Holy Spirit is the primary source, not human initiative, that these words are light in a dark place. One of the very first scriptures I learned in vacation Bible school as a kid, maybe you learned this as a child too, is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Its words I hide in my heart that I may not sin against God. And the reality is, you and I are living in a dark world where where we can be in a dark place. And oftentimes when I'm in a sense of darkness, I call on every scripture that I've ever memorized to come to the light. And so if you are a person that reads scripture and knows some scripture and memorizes some scripture, you can bring that into that dark place that you're going through. And that Jesus Christ is front and center in these stories. Now, granted, friends, the Bible's a confusing book. It's not just one book. It's it's a book comprised of 66 books. It it was written over a millennium of time. It, It comes to us from a lot of different writers and a lot of different contexts in all kinds of different cultural representations. And it is honestly hard to wade through. And in the midst of this, we don't always see its relevance. What does the weird story of an ax floating upstream have to do with my life, really? There's all kinds of different catastrophes, triumphs, and tragedies. And there's all kinds of episodes that seems to be just some weird, unrelated story to what is going on in my life. I freely admit that. And because you and I are so programmed to ask the question, what does that have to do with me today? We want something to be so relevant and instantaneous that we can understand it and we can run with it for five minutes and go. And with that being our spirit and our attitude, I'm not sure I have time to read the Bible. I'm not sure, honestly, how relevant the Bible is, if that's my understanding. The Bible, obviously... (laughs) has lost a lot of credibility. I mean, we live in a time and an age where crazy, wonderful things are happening. And I'm not sure that there's anything about this book that speaks with authority in my life. That may be your honest perspective and your thoughts. It's certainly the thoughts of the culture in which we live today. But I read the book every day, because I believe that this book is the book that faithfully helps me to meet the triune God, the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe it is this book and the pages of this book written by persons moved by the Holy Spirit from the creation of the world to the new creation that gives me the grasp and the authority and the understanding that not only guides my life but where God speaks to me in the quietness when I am with Him and the Holy Scriptures. And I want to ask you the question friend, what is the book or what's the philosophy or what's the authority beyond your own subjectivity and your own whims and your fancies and the fads and all the things that's coming at you? What's the authority? What's the book that's the book for you? What, what is it that you submit to, that you look to And your life? in the life of your family, in the way in which we hope that culture is shaped. In all the crazy, seemingly isolated stories of the Bible, I'm struck with there's one big story. And all these little crazy stories seem to be about this one big story And the one big story can be summarized in three great statements. That the good news is that we human beings are created in the image of God. That we have intrinsic worth and value and we're greatly loved by God. At the end of my message last Sunday, you may or may not have heard it, that's fine. I said something I wasn't expected to say. It wasn't in my notes, but I feel like it was from the Holy Spirit as I was preaching from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And I said, based on the Scripture and and the evidence of Scripture and the witness of Scripture, you are loved by God the Father as much as He loves Jesus the Son. Now, that to me is staggering good news. That's a game changer, that no matter who you are and what you are, God the Father loves you just as much as he loves the son Jesus. If I read the gospel correctly, that we are joint heirs with Christ. This is incredible good news. Where so many people are devalued. This says that we have ultimate intrinsic worth and value. And ultimately loved by God. That's Amazing. Now, there's bad news. The bad news is that we are seriously flawed by sin, and we're helpless to save ourselves. Now, I don't need you to tell me about my flaws, and I don't think you need me to tell you about my flaws. Did I say that right? Because we're all flawed. And my view of your flaws are affected by my flaws. But the deal is, we need an authority that capsulizes in the whole tenor of Scripture that there's things about us just not right. And we are helpless to save ourselves. Does that make you gulp a little bit? But the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us weakened in our human condition. Scripture says that's why we were weak, that Christ died for our sins, and that he came to restore us as the perfect human, showing us what a perfect human looks like. That this is the image of God that He is calling us to be restored to. And that His reign has begun on this earth in the likes of us. And that word begins to change everything. That's that's the story of scripture. I wanna just kind of uh, pause a moment and say there's a lot of different approaches that cause all that into question. There's all kinds of different viewpoints that have tended to minimize the credibility of the Scripture in our own minds. Uh, before we go there, a quick reminder from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Another witness of Scripture, the Apostle Paul this time, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You all right with that? Are you okay with Scripture to show you what is wrong in your life? It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so, with a sense of humility, I place myself before the Scriptures. Now, what's, uh, what's gotten in the way with all this? Many people believe in their approach to Scripture that it, what's shared in Scripture, it really didn't happen. It didn't happen then, and it didn't happen now. In the 19th century, what began to change the thinking of many people in the modern world and in the Western world were... Uh, efforts that were led by German theologians and others that began to demythologize many of the scriptures and stories in the Bible. They began to, in a scholarly approach, recognize that, man, these stories, like the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 that talks about this amazing culture, that couldn't have happened. Culture could not have been advanced that way. Everyone knows that. Everyone, any reasonable person would know that. And yet, even though archaeological digs have since then proven that the very type of culture that was the Bible described in Genesis 12 actually did happen, well, began to be a prevalent movement in the teaching of pastors and seminarians and the academia world was a demythologizing of the Bible, let me stop there and say, you know, some people say, well, do I take the Bible literally or do I take it seriously? Don't get caught up in that argument. In the parts of the Bible that seem to be taken literally or should be taken literally, be open to taking it literally. In the times where Jesus speaks about in terms of hyperbole, hyperbole go with that in the times and places where it's allegory and symbolic. Go with that. Use your mind. But you don't have to be caught up in the argument of literal versus just taking it seriously. In the age of enlightenment, what began to happen was that people that used to take the Scripture seriously did not. And in our Humanism, Thomas Jefferson being the son of enlightenment, gives a perfect example of the approach that many people have to Scripture today. Our third president basically took the Gospels and took away from all the Gospel teaching the miracles and the healings and all references to God and created what he called the philosophy of Jesus. And he said to his friends, it's like I extracted some diamonds From the dung hill, hill. I replaced all that crap and removed it. And Thomas Jefferson then had a very, very thin Bible. Many people have a very, very thin Bible today. The Jesus Seminar folks in the latter part of the 20th century began to openly question seriously about anything that was authentic in Scripture. And that became pervasive, again, in many different schools of thought. And as I say this, you know, I'm not against academia. If you want to call some of the approaches that are so mindset and blindsided academia. And many have reduced the teachings of Scripture to the red-letter movement. I'm going to go with the words of Jesus here. I'm only going to apply what's in the red letter in the Scripture. I'm not going to take the whole counsel of Scripture together. Bob Mumford is a popular Bible preacher, and he he had a dream one night, and in the dream, His Bible was laid out, and some places of the Bible were really huge print. The pages were enlarged, and many parts of the Bible were very, very minimally small. And in the dream, God said to him, Bob, I want you to preach the whole Bible, not just your favorite parts. You know, I don't even like the question anymore, what's your favorite part? Or what's your favorite scripture? It's not that I find all scripture equal in value. I read the Gospels more than Leviticus. And yet I need to wrestle with the reality that if God can make an ax go upstream in the river, God can turn around something in my life. And so this opens up and begins to make sense of the Bible. So let's go to some scriptures, or let's go to some of the clear pathways in which we can begin to let the Bible make sense of our lives. One of the things that Pastor Jason is doing is leading a class on Wednesday nights on faith questions, and this particular Wednesday night, If you want to grapple with some foundations of how you can uh, academically, thinking-wise, approach the Scripture that's responsible and recognize the authority of Scripture, I commend to you to go to that class. You don't have to go to the other classes, but you can go Wednesday night, upstairs, in the gym, above the gym, (laughs) 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Or you can visit Tim Smith as a teenager in the youth room as they're approaching the same subject. We need people to grapple with us about the Scripture. And we need someone to help teach us how we begin to make sense of the Scripture. Also, I want to invite you to be a part of these groups, these home groups, being the church. And what I love about this approach is this is led by Jeff Fugit. They're taking a small segment of Scripture, Acts 2, 42 to 47. You may want to write that down, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it's a very small description of what the early Christians were doing. And so they were to adhere to the apostles' teaching. So this class is going to be looking at some of the teaching of Scripture that they met in prayer. So this class one week is going to be praying. They're going to meet in homes because they met in homes. They're going to share in Holy Communion because they shared in the meal together. They're going to worship because they worship. They're going to share generously in some way because the Scripture says the early Christians did that. In other words, Bible study was never meant to be a Bible study where we just read about these facts, but the Bible needs to come alive. And so if you're looking for a place to find Christian community and, or maybe you're just stuck in the mud, you're not signing your life away, you're only signing up for seven weeks. <laughs> and I would encourage you to, to talk to one of the nice people in the foyer or to go online or to mark your box this morning and say, yeah, I'm open to being a part of a home group that's looking at Scripture together but actually doing it. We offer at Schweitzer also the Daily Text. The Daily Text is led by J.D. Walt from Seedbed. How many of you subscribe to the Daily Text every day? Yes, many of you do this. It's a wonderful opportunity where a person who is academic and also devotional to the understanding that These things really happened in Scripture. And these things can really happen today. And it challenges us. And every day, I just sit with a word and hear the words and thoughts of J.D. Walt. And I wrestle with the questions. And I ask God, how can what you did back then Begin to happen more and more today. Final thing I want to say about the scripture, it's, it's the most important thing of all, is that whenever you simply open the book and you sit with it, and you invite the Holy Spirit to sit with you, that God speaks to us out of this book. And oftentimes, God will say something to me from the book, and then it's like God stops talking. And God's not going to keep talking to me until I do what God told me to do. And so this morning, I want to end this message by inviting you once again to go back to the book with me. And this time we're going to look at Acts 8. Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and how that he as one person came to know faith in Jesus Christ. Because the scripture is written primarily that people may know God, people may come to know God, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he have sent. Now the Ethiopian eunuch is on a wilderness road and Philip is one of the 12 apostles, one of the original 12 guys hung out with Jesus for three years, an eyewitness account. And this scripture tells a story about how other scripture in Isaiah helped this man come to faith in Christ. So look at these words with me, Acts 8, beginning of verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road, so he got up and went. Now, Don't you just love that? (laughs) He said, get up and go. And then he got up and went. See, Scripture is alive. It's dynamic. It's not something we're just supposed to sit and study. It's not supposed to be about facts or figures. It becomes a dynamic living word in your life when you pay attention to what God is saying for you to do. And when you go, when you get up and go... Then the spirit becomes more and more alive in you. Philip was told, Get up and go, and so he got up and went. Now, there was a, an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace Queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. This was a really important dude. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home seated in his chariot. He was coming back from Jerusalem. He'd been to the Jewish temple. He was an outsider. He was a foreigner. And he was a eunuch. He wasn't considered a whole person. He had some missing parts. And Many times we don't feel like we're a whole person. And he could never really go into the full temple. He he just had to stay on the outside courts because... According to the law, he was restricted. And then he's reading this book of Isaiah, this Old Testament book. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Isn't that a beautiful vision and image? We need other people to guide us if we're new to the Scripture. We need to continue to have other people guide us and helping us understand the Scripture. And if we are a student of the Scripture, we need to be helping other people meet them where they are, where they can ask their questions, and no question is a foolish question. So Philip joins him. Now, this passage of scripture that he was reading was this that like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch is totally confused. <laughs> And he asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. So Philip uses scripture to share with the Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was the lamb that was before its shear, that Jesus was the great sacrifice, that Jesus is the suffering servant that died on behalf of all the people. He shares the good news with this eunuch. And as they were going along the road, they, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? I don't know who you are, what you are, what you've done, anything about you. But there's absolutely nothing that would prevent you from being baptized. What prevents you from being fully accepted by the God who loves you just as much as he loves Jesus the Son. And they stopped the chariot. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. And just as God used the Old Testament scriptures of Isaiah, may God use this story today to speak to your heart. This morning, that's that's the question I want to place before you. What's to stand in the way of you being baptized? Have you been baptized? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? If you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, which is the Spirit speaking to you this morning? This this is making sense to me. And God is opening up your heart and your spirit, inviting you to come. So if you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized this morning, I invite you to come and speak to one of us pastors. Just come up to us. Indicate you want to be baptized, that you are a person that has faith in Jesus Christ.